Welcome to the Sheila Kham Extractive Podcast. My guest today is Fred Kabanda. Fred is the Division Manager, Extractives, at the African Natural Resources Center of the African Development Bank in Abidjan, where he oversees the work streams in oil and gas and mineral sectors. He has over 20 years experience, including as Assistant Commissioner and Head of Petroleum Regulation in Uganda. Fred also previously taught in the Department of Geology at Makerere University. He is presently a member of the Society of Petroleum Engineers, Society of Exploration Geophysicists, and Geological Survey of Africa. Welcome to the Sheila Kham Extractive Podcast. Fred, it's nice to have you. Thank you very much, Sheila, for inviting me. I'm glad to be part of your discussions, and I would like to say good day to all our listeners. Thank you very much. So uh, as we continue this conversation on uh, minerals and uh, climate change, uh, I wanted really to look at uh, this notion that minerals in the climate change space appear to cut both ways. On one hand, they are potentially part of the solution. But on the other hand, they are part of the problem when it comes to carbon emissions. I wonder whether you can explain to our listeners how this comes to be, in what way minerals are a problem and in what way they can potentially be a solution. Uh, Yes, thank you, Sheila. Briefly, indeed, you're right. Minerals can contribute both to climate change challenges through the emissions they cause, but we can also look at them as the solution since they fully contribute to the renewable energy systems, which are the new way of addressing climate change due to their low carbon emission. And this is why. Um, If we broaden the definition of minerals to cover the hydrocarbons, that is oil, gas, and coal, these are very useful energy sources for many countries worldwide. However, they emit high CO2 or carbon dioxide. They emit uh, methane and nitrous oxides, which are part of the greenhouse gases. And so they can cause uh, climate change challenges. Renewables on the other hand, including solar, wind, geothermal, hydro, all require minerals in their systems. And if we specifically focus on solar and wind, which are dependent on the sun availability during the day, and wind, which is a uh, seasonal, they would need solar panels in order to convert the solar energy, into the, in order to convert the uh, sun rays into uh, solar energy. And we would need wind turbines in the generation of power. And like I said, it is, you know, the sun is not there 24-7. It is sometimes clouded. There is clouds that hinder the rays from coming to the earth. And so we may not be able to have uh, solar energy all through. Similarly, wind can be seasonal. You may have a day of no wind at all. And so this therefore means battery storage is uh, required for these systems to store the energy that can be used 
at times when these sources are not available. So in summary, therefore, uh, wind, solar, and battery energy definitely require uh, minerals. And so minerals are therefore useful in uh, being the solution to climate change since they contribute to renewables. Hmm. That's interesting. So basically what you're saying is uh, this energy from the sun and the wind has to be captured, uh, but it not only has to be captured, it has to be stored. And then you need transmission of that energy to the user. And that minerals are the interface. Is that correct, Fred? Yes, indeed, that's true. Because even the aspect of transmission, the wires themselves require a lot of copper, require aluminium in order for us to be the, to, for it to be the conduit in order to switch on our lights in our houses when we are on the general national grids. That's true. So, so you, you talked about a, 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 the minerals emitting. I'm assuming you mean that during the process of a refinery and fabricating of metals, uh, the process and the energy consumption and the carbon dioxide that is then emitted into the air, th this is what you mean by emission. It is not that the mineral substance itself in its natural form emits uh, carbon. Yes, 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 that's true. Emissions come because of the processes that are in the systems of being able to generate the, uh, the energy from the hydrocarbons. If we are going to have electricity from uh, maybe heavy fuel oils, that heavy fuel oil has to be burned. And the process of burning it, or the process of burning coal to create you know, the heat required to you know, boil the water into steam and then convert this into electricity, that process of burning the minerals is what causes the emissions that will go out into the air. And so, and that's the challenge because if these emissions go out into the air, then they distort the temperatures of the earth. And this eventually causes changes in our climate where we had regular seasons of rain, it starts to uh, change. It becomes unpredictable. We get floods when uh, uh, we get, uh, uh, you know, ice, ice melting uh, at the uh, Arctic and uh, uh, the poles. And so it changes the whole kind of environment because of these uh, gases that are emitted into the air. And the, the thing is, even if you as a country are not emitting into the air, somebody's air could come into your environment and affect you. And this is why, even if Africa is actually not a big emitter, we are equally affected because of other emitters from other parts of the world. Absolutely. Uh, so you have made reference to the notion of, uh, that you've used the term, hydrocarbons. Uh, you've also used petroleum, and then you've used minerals. I wonder whether you could just succinctly help 
uh, the listener appreciate the difference be between uh, solid minerals, uh, hydrocarbons, and petroleum? Oh, yes, yes. Let, let me uh, break it down. Uh, solid minerals are indeed those elements that can be used or found naturally occurring and can be used for uh, our day-to-day -day use. Minerals are used in our lives all through, from growing crops where you need nitrogen, where you need you know, all the different elements of sulfur and so on, those are already minerals in agriculture. Now, other minerals are used to make products like, you know, if it is iron ore, iron, it is used to make aspects of, you know, steel. So these indeed occur in their own solid nature form. And they are found in minerals uh, because they are found in rocks because minerals, different minerals make up rocks. And so in the exploration of these minerals, we will be looking for certain types of rocks that host these minerals. And these are the ones that are broken down uh, if it is not uh, uniformly occurring and we pick out the different solid minerals from that element. Now, on the other hand, hydrocarbons can be uh, in three forms. They can be in a liquid form, which is oil, basically hydrogen and carbon bonded together in terms of chemistry at different ratios. Uh, if it is a gaseous form, then that becomes natural gas. Still, same composition, hydrogen and carbon bonded together, but this time in a gaseous form. In a solid form, hydrocarbons also occur in a coal. It will mainly be still hydrocarbons hydrogen and carbon bonded together. So when we talk about hydrocarbons, we are basically talking about hydrogen and carbon combined together as elements. And these are the ones that when you burn them, when you burn them, then you are splitting the hydrogen from the carbon and cause, uh, creating uh, carbon dioxide in the process because oxygen occurs in nature. That's wonderful. I, I thought we should do so because now I'm going to try and be more specific and, and say, when we look at minerals as a solution, can you give us concrete examples of some minerals, which as we ponder transition to clean energy are seen as part of the solution and the specific role or the specific use to which these minerals will be put uh, to help reduce carbon emissions? Yes, yes. In order for us to have the renewable energy of specifically solar and wind, which are the fastest growing energy sources that have lower, lower, lower most carbon emissions in their process of power generation, we need uh, to have or use minerals for two elements. One, the solar panels, if it is wind, if it is solar, uh, we need the solar panels to convert, convert the sun rays into uh, energy. But for wind, on the other hand, we will also need wind turbines. And these turbines have big magnets 
uh, that will be able to control the speed of uh, you know, the blades that rotate and so on. And so we need minerals in the process of making the solar panels, but also the wind turbines. And these uh, elements are common in many parts of Africa and the world. For instance, to uh, make a wind uh, turbine, we need mainly rare earth elements in our systems. And rare earth elements are indeed rare, like the word, the word should, should be, but we have the opportunity of having these in Africa. As an example, for one wind turbine that generates three megawatts of electricity, we need 4.7 tons of metals to put this up. Because one, it has to stand up high, and then uh, we raise that turbine into you know, uh, you know, the air, and therefore has to be light. And so we have to look at elements of minerals that will not cause it to be that heavy. And one of the characteristics of these rare earth elements is that they are light in nature. Uh, the second aspect on uh, the solar system, we will need aluminum as well. We need uh, quartzites, quartz, uh, and other elements of the solar system. So that is solar generation uh, and wind power generation. But because we said these elements or these uh, energy sources are not present all day long, we need to be able to store some of the energy to use in the night, for instance, when the sun is not there. And so we need a battery system in order to have uh, batteries that are long lasting. We need minerals like uh, lithium, cobalt, graphite, nickel, manganese, phosphates, among others. So these minerals will help us to be able to have a guarantee of having power even when the sun is not there or even when the wind is not there. The other aspect I would like to introduce in uh, regard to renewable energy is in addition to solar and wind, we have electric vehicles now coming up. And electric vehicles also require batteries. And so batteries will still be made for the renewable energy, but also for purposes of using or converting the internal combustion engine vehicles that we have now into electric vehicles that are the vehicles of the future. Because many countries have declared they are going to stop using internal combustion engines as soon as 2025, 2030, and definitely 2050, many countries will not be using these, but electric vehicles. But just to also add that on electrical vehicles, in addition to just the elements of the battery, electric vehicles also need more copper than internal combustion engines. In order to make one electric vehicle, you need five times more copper than you would need in an internal combustion engine. So currently, the electric vehicles we see coming out use between 60 and 80 kilograms of copper. And so 
this is the uh, demand that we will be looking at for these uh, minerals. And forecasts have shown that because of this demand, actually, we need to start calling them critical. Critical because they will be scarce to find, but they will be very useful in uh, the renewable energy going forward. Mm -hmm. So you, you've uh, said uh, quite a lot, and, and I'm going to try and disaggregate the information and, and, and as I follow through on some of the uh, issues that you've put on the table. Uh, first of all, you've uh, made reference to uh, minerals which are in abundance uh, in Africa, you, you have said. Certainly, the DRC is the world's largest producer of cobalt. Uh, between the DRC and uh, Zambia, you have some of the world's largest uh, high-grade copper deposits. And then, of course, uh, Zimbabwe is known to not only have significant quantities of graphite, but Zimbabwe also is very well endowed with uh, lithium deposits, and, and the list goes on. Uh, so, so that suggests uh, a repositioning, if you wish, of the geopolitics of, of uh, mineral resources and trade. But let me ask you a question then. When you say Africa is well endowed, which, which I, I think is true, is it relative to other regions of the world? Could we say that relative to other regions of the world, uh, Africa occupies a position of leadership or advantage in terms of mineral resource endowments with respect to what you term critical minerals? Indeed, Africa is endowed with the, uh, some of these resources. But I must also emphasize that it is not only within Africa that we have all these critical minerals. We have some you know, good uh, mineral uh, resources within Africa. For instance, you, you quote cobalt in Diara, Congo, uh, which you know, produces 70% of all the global uh, cobalt. This is you know, the volume we have. And cobalt is indeed going to be relevant in a, this energy transition. Uh, the other minerals that we have in abundance that will be relevant is manganese, which, you know, South Africa holds 70% of all the global known resources to date. Copper in Diara, Congo, and Zambia are very well uh, known, like just like phosphate in Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, and graphite in uh, Tanzania and Madagascar, bauxite in Guinea and Ghana are some of the examples. Iron, iron ore in South Africa, Guinea, Mauritania, Algeria, the list is endless. But these are resources that will be required within this uh, solar, uh, wind, and the renewable energy uh, you know, transition. The aspect is that in order for us to be able to develop these solar, wind, and uh, you know, batteries, we need a combination of minerals. None of the African countries has all of them together. Meaning, if we were going to stop exporting raw minerals to different parts of the world and start on developing 
batteries in Africa, for instance, we would need to cooperate with our neighbors. Lithium, for instance, is only produced currently in uh, Zimbabwe and a little bit of Namibia, no other place in Africa. But in order for you to have uh, a strong battery, it has to have elements of lithium. And so this now brings in the elements of uh, you know, regional cooperation and talking to each other if we were going to get you know, the benefit of our mineral resources. Now, I'll also uh, come in quickly and indicate that the resources I'm talking about are those that we know. But Africa has been underexplored. In other words, the importance of these minerals, rare earth elements, you know, uh, manganese, lithium, cobalt, is only coming to light now because of this energy transition. And in the past, not many companies have looked for these resources. So there is under exploration. And so we will need to find out what exactly do we host? What exactly do we have? The um, biggest um, reserves of uh, lithium and some of these other elements are mainly found in the Far East stand countries. And currently, because you talked about geopolitics, there is a need to have multiple sources of you know, raw materials. And so many countries and governments are therefore looking at Africa in order to be able to look out for this. And this is why we must take the opportunity and promote exploration for these minerals and be able to develop these minerals and turn them into products that can be useful. So it is true that uh, because of the call for transition to cleaner uh, energy, certain minerals certainly find themselves in higher demand than would otherwise be the case. But I think it's fair to say that uh, there has always been some consumption of copper. There's always been some consumption of uh, uh, bauxite, which makes uh, aluminum, which we use mainly uh, in cars, but also in uh, domestic appliances. And for that matter, there's always been demand for iron ore and copper. The question I have for you, uh, Fred, is this. More than a century ago, when Europe industrialized, there was a scramble for Africa because uh, Europe needed raw materials. A couple of years ago, the EU introduced uh, a strategy for procurement of what they call critical minerals, minerals that are critical to continue to um, support Europe's industrialization, but also transition to energy. So we are seeing, if you wish, a second wave of a, uh, a struggle globally by the industrialized world to acquire raw materials. And so we've been here before. My question for you then is this, what is your advice to African countries today to say, look, uh, in the 1900s, this happened and it has been happening progressively, which is to say the procurement of raw materials from Africa. How should African governments behave differently this time 
to make sure that they optimize the value of the materials that they have and benefit from this uh, strategic positioning. So what can change, what should be changed is that one, we have to be able to evaluate ourselves and you know, be able to add uh, value to these resources. And this is not going to be overnight. It has to be progressive and gradual change to move from selling raw materials to selling finished products. It is not going to be business as usual for us to actually have, you know, uh, no strategies for African raw materials, but be able to respond to other people's strategies and send the raw materials. So we also have to develop and work on our own strategies of saying, if battery minerals are going to be the critical aspects, which of our countries has the inputs to these? How can we work together as a region to satisfy the market before we export the rest of these? And so even within our own continent, we will need a strategy. And this is why uh, the African Development Bank through the African Natural Resources Center is working with other institutions within Africa to develop a strategy for critical minerals in the uh, battery manufacturing. We are working with other institutions and we think this is the right time to advise the different governments on what they can do to position themselves better in order to tap from this opportunity of the energy transition. You also said something earlier, which uh, I'd like to revisit, which is that true, uh, Africa has uh, a lot of uh, known mineral resources but that there are others also that may still be there because the continent is significantly underexplored. And I know this to be true because over the last 10 years, Africa's share of global exploration expenditure has fallen dramatically. For instance, South Africa, which was a, a favored mineral exploration destination, used to have about 20% of global exploration expenditure and that has fallen to as low as two. And the story is very similar throughout uh, the continent. So Africa is already underperforming relative to its mineral potential. And so my question to you, Fred, is this, that if we, we have this natural advantage of being known to be a favored exploration destination that have lost that sport to Latin America, Canada and other regions of the world. What are the chances that as we aspire to move into manufacturing, we will be competitive in attracting investors to our shores to undertake uh, mineral processing and then fabrication and manufacturing of goods? What are the chances that we are ready to wage and win that battle? Okay, no, no, thank you very much. This is a, indeed uh, something that's correct. It is becoming difficult to attract investments uh, into um, Africa for exploration because exploration is actually very risky. You could invest and lose you know, all your investment without any returns because you don't make any discoveries. And so 
we have to advise our governments on developing aggressive strategies that will be used to attract investors. In this area, I think governments must be more strategic and more aggressive than they have been in the past. They could consider incentives to attract these big companies. I'll just give you an example in the, uh, the uh, industry of uh, uh, battery minerals that we are talking about today. Now, in this uh, battery industry, billions of dollars are needed in investment. And in order for us to attract the big uh, boys, so to say, we must have known reserves to, in order for them to use as a base for investment. And so unless there is exploration, it's going to be difficult for us to actually call them and say, we have this volume, unless we actually have the significant volume. And so one of the things that we have got to do is to invest some parts of our own uh, money into exploration through, uh, you know, through uh, our companies, the national companies uh, uh, that are involved within you know, the sector, the SOEs. So that's one area. But number two, we also must partner with the people who need these resources. If we partner with uh, companies that will be buying these, uh, producing these mineral resources or battery resources and ask that indeed you need to come and invest, we have this potential uh, and put these battery factories here, you can actually be able to produce the batteries and export you know, some of the batteries and maybe some of the raw materials that is not useful used in the process. This would be an aspect that could also be able to uh, bring in uh, or attract the big boys. Billions of dollars you know, are needed, like I indicated, and competition to secure them is actually very high. Indeed, in a, uh, recently, I read in the papers, the state of Nevada provided Tesla with tax breaks of 1.3 billion over a 20-year period. In the same time, the European Union approved 3.2 billion euro in state aid to support battery manufacturing. So the competition out there exists. And so we must be able to position ourselves and say, if we have this cobalt in uh, Diara Congo, in Zimbabwe, we have lithium, Tesla, BMW, Panasonic, how can we be able to take advantage of these, but also you know, find more in order to uh, last you until 2060, 2070 in your industry? So partnerships are going to be very critical in uh, taking these aspects uh, going forward, but exploration must also be uh, promoted. And if necessary, we need to involve and evaluate you know, the incentives that we can be able to offer. Hmm. So uh, I like your emphasis on partnerships. It's a subject that uh, I will uh, discuss later. Uh, suffice for now to say that one of the most important points you, you, you imply, though you, you are not explicit about it, is that 
true, Africa is well endowed with uh, minerals. True, other parts of the world are too. Chile, for instance, in the space of copper, uh, is the world's largest uh, uh, producer of copper together with China. But that it's important to remember, heavy minerals alone is not enough to mm -hmm. attract investment, either in exploration, much less uh, manufacturing. That there's a lot of interventions that needs to be undertaken, not only to increase the competition, but also to ensure that uh, the environment is uh, attractive to those with the resources to undertake both investment and innovation. Because I often fear that when people speak of Africa being rich in resources, mm -hmm. the assumption is that other regions of the world aren't rich, which is not true. Mm -hmm. uh, the other assumption is that if you are rich in resources, that's enough. That's all you need. That also is not true. And I think from both a policy uh, discussion and an investment uh, promotion perspective, you know, if, if, if our leaders miss these two points, uh, your, your great-grandchildren and mine will be talking about how to attract investors, uh, you know, 100 years from now. And, and that would be a tragedy. And I think it's, it's therefore, uh, it, it's a point uh, worth uh, revisiting. I, I wanted to go back to something we, we touched on but didn't quite delve into. Uh, when you made a distinction between uh, mineral substances and uh, hydrocarbons, you reference coal. Uh, of course, um, the region is also very well endowed with coal. Uh, much of SADC has huge deposits of both uh, thermal and metallurgical coal. And yet, uh, coal being a hydrocarbon uh, is now considered essentially part of the problem in the same way that uh, oil and increasingly gas are. Is there a, a regional uh, policy position with respect to development of coal reserves in the region? Ah, okay. Yes, indeed, coal is important. Um, that's true because it actually, you know, supply is used to supply energy to many countries in Africa. To in some countries, it generates, you know, it's used to generate up to. 90% of all the energy within the energy mix. But um, the direct answer to your question on a regional policy position would be no. But by inference, we have got the Africa Mining Vision, which was adopted in 2009 by the AU heads of state. And within the AMV, the Africa Mining Vision, there are seven pillars and program clusters, and all these are aligned to sustainable development of mineral resources that exist in Africa, including coal. So the AMV uh, is now being domesticated in the region. Like I know, there is a, a SADAC uh, domesticated version of the AMV, but in some cases, countries have gone to the country level in order to develop the MV as an aid on how they could be able to use their minerals. Now, coal, of course, has environmental risks that come with it, but we have seen coal producing countries trying 
to mitigate these and improve uh, the emissions that would be coming out of uh, the process of burning coal in order to generate energy. These include use of uh, uh, clean coal technologies, where uh, in many aspects coal is washed in order to reduce the uh, emissions. But in some cases, we also see that there are systems put in place in order to capture and store the carbon emissions after they are burned. These processes have been tried in South Africa, in Botswana, and many other parts of Africa. Of course, like any other you know, technological additions to what existed before, the flip side is that it is costly, and therefore it makes the energy from this uh, expensive. This is the only flip side, but countries are working around this in order that they continue to be able to produce energy that, that from coal that is actually cleaner than it was in the past. Mm. So uh, an implied regional uh, strategy, but not one that is articulated uh, with a clear roadmap. Now, development finance institutions like the World Bank, the IFC, uh, the European Development Bank, et cetera, have all said that they will no longer be funding coal. Coal, if you wish, was the first casualty of mm. uh, transition to clean energy. And now, uh, in the, you know, the same institutions want finance oil and potentially gas. What is the position of the African Development Bank with respect to supporting governments, or for that matter, uh, private companies developing thermal coal resources on the continent? Indeed, like the other development finance institutions, uh, the position of the African Development Bank is that we are currently not financing new coal projects. And the reason is, uh, twofold. One, because of the high uh, carbon emissions and uh, the commitments that the countries are making towards the Paris Agreement uh, means uh, in their national um, co uh, development contributions, they are actually you know, not emphasizing emissions. And we see that if they continue to use coal, indeed this will be high. So that's one reason. But the second reason, which is not often talked about, is that the lifespan of a coal plant is on average 45 years. Meaning, if we put up a coal and supported a coal plant today, it will take maybe 50 years or even 60 uh, you know, in existence, in production. And now when you look at the economics and the current development, it could be difficult for this plant to be able to compete with other sources of energy, which are becoming cheaper every other day. And with the commitments that these countries have, the future of this could be uh, difficult to sustain. Now, what I'm saying is not that coal is off because there are many plants that have just come on stream, meaning they could actually be sustainable or we could be running for the next 40 or so years. 
So these would continue, but what many development institutions do is they no longer finance the new ones that are being developed now. In other words, when you do a feasibility and then long life, we could be talking about 70 or so years going forward. Hmm. So, so I guess uh, in the space of coal, uh, here I think uh, the geopolitics will be pretty uh, dicey because you have countries like South Africa with a huge energy uh, deficit that are almost exclusively dependent on thermal coal to fire up the, the country's industry. And then you have countries, as you mentioned, uh, Botswana and others. And of course, you have India and China. And, and every indication is that uh, a fair amount of investment is still being made in the uh, thermal coal energy space. And so my, my sense, uh, Fred, is that the jury is uh, uh, out. Uh, unless you can you can uh, perhaps give it a different perspective. I mean, do do you think, uh, based on your observations, then that uh, coal thermal coal is a thing of the past? Ah, okay. Now let me say this, Sheila. Um, in the world and Africa specifically, there is no single solution to all problems. In other words. There is no one size fits all. And so even with coal, there will be countries that will continue with it for much longer than others. The energy mix of specific countries depends mainly on the resources they have and on the price of the energy, but also on international trends and general guidelines or treaties that they have signed. And in the, uh, many cases, the coal as well that we are talking about has different qualities. In other words, if the quality varies um, and there is technology, we see that some countries may actually be able to produce clean coal at affordable prices because maybe they still have uh, those uh, resources within their vicinity. And so you could therefore find that some countries assess and they will find that coal is still relevant for them uh, even beyond 2050. There is no projection of energy mix that cuts out call in 2050 in a straight line. No, because it is clear that it will be used uh, in some countries at that time. What is clear, however, is that coal uh, will not be you know, uh, written off completely. But what is clear is that there could be a significant reduction in the use of these coal resources, especially because from the price uh, perspective, I see that the renewables are coming down quickly in price, and so they could be easier to adopt. And in many cases, when you have these renewable energy sources, they are actually developed from near the user. In other words, 
you would not be able to, you know, import coal from other places unless you're producing it yourself. And this could be a changer, a game changer in terms of use of coal going forward. But many countries are also, you know, committing to their Paris Agreement uh, commitments and they are uh, signing off not to emit, uh, you know, uh, the greenhouse gases in uh, different sectors, including the energy sector. So briefly, that's what I could say that it may not be a thing of the past because it will be dependent on uh, many factors and which countries. Hmm. Well, I like your analogy of uh, the absence of a straight line because we are, Andrew Fred, uh, sometimes tempted to oversimplify things and think uh, that there is a silver bullet when there, in fact, is none to, to be found. And I think uh, what is coming out of your responses to my questions is exactly that, that uh, there's quite a lot of uh, moving parts and the solutions are not as ready, much less as obvious as they, they might uh, appear. But one thing seems certain to me, both in my conversation with yourself now on uh, minerals and your counterparts in the fossil fuel space, and that is this, that Africa is very central in more ways than one to the solution, either through carbon sequestration uh, or for that matter, the supply of the essential metallic substances to enable us to store, transmit and uh, facilitate a transition to green energy. What isn't clear is whether or not when we reflect on this uh, in future, we will be able to look back in pride and say, our political masters and Africa's entrepreneurial spirit did come to the party. And so on that note, uh, I wanna thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. And uh, I'm always glad to speak to you because you are our ambassador in Africa's development. Thank you and uh, continue the good work, Sheila. Thank you very much.